0: Being consultative means being an expert, not about your company, because they can get that information from a host of different places. You need to be an expert about their business.
1: Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're going to tackle an often talked about, but in my experience, little understood topic. That's account-based sales and marketing. To help us, we have not one, but two guests from Acrolinks: Charles-Chuck Friedenborg, Vice President Global Sales, and Mariana Just, Director of Marketing and Operations. Thank you both for taking the time to be on the show today. Great
2: to be here.
0: Delighted.
1: Excellent. So let's start with a little bit of background. And because, you know, when we were growing up, I don't know about you, Chuck, but I wasn't playing with my fire engines and GI Joe going, wow, I can't wait to grow up and be a sales professional. So I would just always like to ask our guests, how did you get into sales?
0: Well, the shorter answer that I can give you is that when I graduated from college, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. So uh, in lieu of having that exact career path figured out, I was living in Stamford, Connecticut at the time. And one of the fastest growing companies in the area was a, a company called Gartner Group. There was a lot of buzz around it. They were growing fast. There were a lot of different jobs available. And I just signed on to work there while I figured out what I was going to do. And was a very sports-oriented individual at the time. I ended up joining the company baseball team. And, uh, most of the individuals on that team were from sales and <laughs> me, they weren't smarter than me. They, they looked kind of like I did, but man, they drove much nicer cars and lived in a, <laughs>
1: <laughs> isn't that the truth? Isn't that yeah. the truth?
0: So, uh, through those relationships, I had an opportunity to speak with a gentleman by the name of Rich Eld who led North American sales for Gartner at the time. And, and he is now you know, co-founder at Serious Decisions. And I asked him how I could join the Gartner Salesforce. And he didn't laugh at me too hard. <laughs> but as very nicely as he could, made sure that I understood that that was not an entry-level sales job, that they typically had people joined Gartner after you know five to ten years of uh, proven success at companies at the time like Xerox and IBM. but he was still very helpful. I then asked him well if I want to sell at Gartner, does that mean I have to leave be successful someplace else and then come back? And he said, no, that's not necessarily true, but what you would need to do is go over to the research side of our business spend a couple of years there, familiarize yourself with what we do, the key issues that we solve for our clients and become comfortable and, and articulate and discussing those. And then you would need to move over to a client service role and demonstrate your capability in a client facing role. And if you do those things well, then we can talk. And that's what I did. And I came back and approached Rich four years later when they had a territory in Northern New Jersey that they couldn't fill. And, uh, I think their choice was me or an empty territory. Uh, <laughs> so after much consideration, they chose me. I had a lot of success and it came pretty fast. So that's kind of how that worked.
1: Excellent. Yeah, Rich is a great guy. We do, we do a lot of work with serious decisions. So it's, it's interesting how small some of this universe is that we all live in.
0: Uh, uh, absolutely, John are close friends of mine to this day, and people that have had a strong influence on my career.
1: Excellent. And how about you, Mariana? Looks like from when I was doing our research, it looks like you went to Northwestern and focused on business and marketing much earlier than I did. As I went through my career, curious what keeps you passionate about marketing.
2: Yeah, definitely. So I I knew very early on that I wanted to go to business school. In fact, I grew up in Brazil knowing that I wanted to come to the United States and I wanted to come to college in the U.S. And there's something to be said about the time when I, I started my professional career and it was probably the technology and the marketing technology. I call it I was very much in the middle of the marketing technology storm. When when I started and it was pretty exciting. I mean, my first internship I was with a company where we use Salesforce. This was about 2003, and I think Salesforce had only been around for maybe four years. Marketo, HubSpot uh, then came th- soon after, and and we kind of all grew up together. And and just the spread of the internet allowing that instant. To seeing your audience engage with your campaigns, a very different world from just uh, the early or mid-90s, and Google paid advertising. So all of that stuff really made me continue to remain excited about marketing. And I, I knew that that being such a technology junkie like myself, I kind of wanted to continue on that path. And I embraced it. You have to. You have to embrace the technology for your marketing today.
1: Well, and I'm gonna say I'm jealous for that clarity of thought that you had at that age because I will be one of those guys that tells you I ended up in sales by accident. So to to have that clarity makes me jealous. I'll just be honest. So thank you very much for that. And so let's talk a little bit about Acrolinks. Chuck, you want to give just a little high level on AcroLinks and some context for the audience?
2: Oh,
0: I'd be delighted to. So what Acrolinks does is ensure that all of the content that a company creates is aligned with their content goals. Specifically, what I'm referring to is tone of voice, style, terminology. And that content is also written in a way that is well-targeted to the personas that they're trying to engage. We do that by working with the company to understand those content goals. And then, in essence, having a, a team of computational linguistics, linguistic experts for lack of a better term, program those goals into our platform. And then as they have content creators throughout the world writing content, that content is filtered through our platform against those goals. And then we can make instantaneous recommendations to those content creators, to the changes that they need to make to, again, ensure the alignment between that piece of content and the content goals of the company.
1: I mean, that's a pretty powerful tool when you think about it, right? So everybody out there, anybody that's paying attention understands you have to create content. There has to be a strategy behind it, but the ability to analyze it on the fly to apply that... AI type of approach is phenomenal to me. Now, I was an English major as an undergrad. So, for me specifically, I find it extremely intriguing, the linguistic nature of it. And there is on your website, there's an excellent graphic. You know, it's kind of the graphics you would expect to see on a website. But those of us that are in the business, it shows it's about, I want to say, I don't know, two thirds of the way down if you scroll, guys. So, audience, yep. pay attention, go to the website, hit it. And it talks about stats for success. But there's one element that really caught my attention, and it was specifically greater brand trust. So Mariana, I'd love to capture your perspective on how you know an AI-powered tool like Acrolinks provides can actually evolve content to create a particularly human reaction, which is the increased amount of trust. So I have to ask, have you finally cracked the code that allows us to really formulaically develop trust with people through great content?
2: Well, if you think about some of the things that sort of help with brand trust, authenticity comes to mind, consistency comes to mind, the credibility. And to Chuck's point a little earlier, explaining about the the product, what is more authentic than being able to speak with one voice and uh, to speak to your audience with, with clarity, with alignment, right? You can do that with Acrolinks. You can, in fact, get thousands of writers across the globe to write with one voice, especially nowadays where you said content is so important, but nowadays everyone in the organization is a writer. You've got your (laughs) writing. ah. Uh, You have agencies writing for you. How do you ensure that they represent your brand and how can you have brand trust if all of your writers are all of a sudden publishing different content? I mean, you you lose credibility. might get sued. And and so those are the kinds of things that the brand related challenges that that AcroWinsys is, is helping to solve.
1: It's a phenomenal challenge that as a linguist, self-professed linguist, I don't know if those that hang out with me on the weekends would agree with that. But I would say one that loves language and that sees that the ability to get that phrase you use, a thousand writers writing with one voice, that is something that in my marketing career before i switched into sales we we struggled with so to know that there's a potential solution out there is is excellent so i really appreciate that so let's jump to topic at hand account based marketing and sales abm and abs for those that are in the game they're hot topics everybody's talking about it so chuck from your perspective as a sales professional have you seen these two approaches change the game
0: yeah. I, I, and I think it, 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 the creation of ABM and ABS is due to the dramatic change in the demands and, and expectation of a professional B2B salesperson. If you look back, you know, let's say 15, 20 years ago, I can even say when I started in sales. <laughs> the reason that or the means by which you delivered value to your potential buyer, to your prospect in the pre-sale process, was by being the expert about your company, right? Because they had no other means to learn about what your company did, what business issue it solved, how you packaged and priced your offerings, perhaps you know who were references or case studies that would give them a, a level of comfort uh, regarding the, the investment they were considering making. So they had to call the company and say, hey, you know, I I live in New York. Who is the salesperson for my region? And so the the job of the salesperson then was to be the expert regarding the company. Buyers don't need salespeople for that anymore. (laughs) What what I challenge my salespeople with is that we have to be consultative. And yes, that's a very high-level term. What does it mean? Being consultative means being an expert, not about your company, because they can get that information from a host of different places. You need to be an expert about their business, about the business issue that they are trying to solve, which would lead them to want to interact with you in the first place. And you need to be an expert about their business environment, their vertical, the competitive pressures they might be under the market dynamics that might be stressing their businesses that your company is well positioned to solve. Typically now, potential buyers of a service or product don't contact the provider of that product or service until two-thirds to three-quarters of the way through their decision making process. So if you're going to be successful in sales, and you're going to be successful as a sales organization, you have to do two things. You have to target your proactive sales and marketing efforts in a very disciplined, strategic, and finely targeted way. And when you engage those potential buyers, you have to be able to demonstrate value through your expertise about their environment.
1: It's definitely a more, I would say, intellectually diverse landscape. Uh, that I see when I, when I was running teams and stuff. And so I'm going to apologize, Marianne. I'm going to jump questions and come back to one I know uh, I had kind of scripted this out. But it, it leads me into the question of teams. So when you talk about an account-based sales, a true account-based sales approach, this podcast came about because uh, Chuck and I have some connections and the gentleman that we both know told me that Chuck was a master at hiring and leading sales teams. And so I'm curious, does knowing that your team's coming in and they obviously are going to be working in an ABS, ABM approach, does that change? the profile of the salesperson you're looking for today or maybe even
0: the way that you coach them once they're hired? It doesn't change the profile of the individual that I hire because the need for ABM and what we're trying to achieve through an account-based marketing, account-based sales strategy is born of the same characteristics that we just discussed that I'm really looking for in a salesperson. What we require here is not somebody who will run around just trying to grab low-hanging fruit uh, (laughs) based upon inbound. Right? We're a small company. We're growing very quickly. When you look at the scale of this sales team compared to my past at Gartner or Rosetta Stone, we're rather small. So when you're resource-constrained, you must be very disciplined around who you proactively target to try to sell. So one of the things I did when we first came on board is we established an ideal client profile. To, in essence, stop that low-hanging fruit picking, we wanted to really understand who our buyers were. And it wasn't very complex. It was companies 750 million and above in tech, software, semiconductor, financial services, manufacturing and engineering, medical devices and pharma, and aerospace and defense. The reason that we felt a need to do that is that we did not have the luxury of wasting sales cycles, getting in advanced discussions, and then have the company inevitably ask, what other companies do you work with that look and feel exactly like us and and where you solve their problem and have us look at them and go, eh. I, well, nobody, because we have vertical before. We felt we needed to be very disciplined around not only sticking with verticals and companies where we had a good story to tell, where we could be consultative because we had a proven track record of fixing the problem that they were trying to solve in a company that looked almost exactly like them. And we needed to get disciplined as not just a sales organization but a marketing organization about focusing our resources on those targets that would most likely lead to a sale for us.
1: Excellent. And so, all right. So we've talked about team. We've talked about this. You know, targeting specific profiles. I'm a huge fan of ideal customer profiles. It does keep your salespeople focused instead of. Uh, you said it nicer. Picking up, you know, low hanging fruit. But there's other ways I've heard that said before. But really, really appreciate that connotation to it. So now let's talk about those target accounts. So Mariana, when when you get a list of target accounts, or you go to create a list of accounts that meet those profiles, how do you go to about creating a plan? And for the marketing towards those accounts, something that's in alignment with sales. In my experience, it's been much more than just sending, hey, a few emails and letting the salespeople know what's going on. It's much more uh, strategic, it's much more intellectual. And I, and I know our audience would be extremely grateful for kind of a high level overview of, of effective approaches that you've seen in terms of the planning and creation of those target account lists.
2: Yeah, uh, totally. And the word discipline has been used here a few times already. And I'll say it again it requires a lot of discipline. And I will even back up a little to before selecting those target accounts, before anything, what I did here was understand the reasons why we were even getting into ABM in the first place and assessing if it made sense for our business. Just by simply asking questions like, are there multiple buyer personas involved, the deal size, the length of your sales cycle, so that this allows for everyone to get on board because you will need to get everyone bought into this. ABM is hard. And I know that marketers everywhere have the ABM buzz, but (laughs) very, very hard and it takes a lot of discipline time and getting everyone on board with this. So don't do it just because everyone is doing it. To get back to your original question, I structured our IBM plan here at AcroLinks into four different stages. So the account selection being the first. And in relation to your question, the account selection process is really where you're making decisions around how many accounts per rep will you target if we select, say, five accounts per rep, the strategy changes a bit uh, versus 30, 40, because then you're getting away from that one-to-one approach to a, something that's a little bit more at scale, and that's completely going to change how we go to market. Of course, as Chuck mentioned, he talked about ideal customer profile. We want to make sure that those accounts are within our ICPs. You want to bring your sales reps into the conversation. Do not plan your accounts in a silo. Sales reps don't like that.
0: <laughs> <You gotta. laughs>
2: make sure that they are bought into this because at the end of the day, they are the ones going to be doing the follow-up. So you want to make sure that they're following up with the accounts that they also believe in. So that's the first stage. So fine. I've got that under control. That second phase is the account planning process. So this is where I am looking at, okay, these are the accounts. How many contacts per company do I already have in my database? What contact acquisition do I need to do and what are the tools that I'm going to use in order to do some of that acquisition, right? We, we had an intern who helped us and we did a lot of scraping on LinkedIn and different uh, intelligence tools to acquire some of those contacts. And then, of course, you want to make sure that you're targeting the right titles, the personas. So all of that comes into the, the second phase, which I call the account planning stage. The third stage is the tier engagement plan and how are you actually going to market. We did a combination of physical and, and digital outreach. We made sure that we had a theme around our campaign, which was based off of an ebook that had already been performing really well in, in market. You kind of do want to take something that is already performing well, especially if this is a proof of concept like it was for us. You want to also project manage this really, really well, whether you're doing Gantt charts or whatever it is that you do to keep yourself or project management tool, because there is a lot involved in in bringing all of these things together. And kind of off you go, right? And by the way, the entire planning to execution to launch for us took about 90 days when we first started to do this. So it's sort of important to understand how much time it actually takes we are a small team so um, it took us you know about 3 months
1: well i mean that's and, still, honestly that's still not bad <laughs> yeah, no,
2: we did well we worked quickly and so that's all of your main stages the very last one might be the the most important one and that's the measurement plan you want you do want to know what you're going to be measuring before you go to market and before you launch your campaign I feel like we're going to talk a little bit about KPIs later, so I'm going to not give too much away right now. But the fourth and final measurement plan, what, what are your KPIs? So in a nutshell, those are the things that this is how we structured here at Acrolinks, And it's a process that worked really well for us.
1: Excellent. And so we've we've all mentioned discipline discipline discipline. I'm a big fan of that. I believe sales especially today is a discipline, marketing is a discipline. I have a lot of people that used to before I started doing what I'm doing today, they used to report to me that used to roll their eyes at that word, right? So it's in the same vein as, you know, patience and focus. And with the digital onslaught that we're all living in today, attention spans seem to get shorter. So I'm curious, Mariana, what you found to be the largest hurdles internally when it comes to executing that discipline and that strategy around ABM?
2: Getting everyone aligned was definitely a um, big hurdle. So for example... And I'm not just talking about sales and marketing alignment here. That's a given. You absolutely need to have that in order to make ABM successful. But even other teams within the marketing department, how do you get product marketing or content teams to prioritize this when their goals aren't directly associated with ABM results, for example? So they had their own editorial calendar that they needed to follow, and here I am asking for new content for ABM campaign. That was definitely a learning process, and we kind of had to take a step back and really align ourselves on the goal because again i mentioned earlier if you're going to do abm it should definitely be a company-wide strategy and and people need to be bought into the second thing that i will say is, especially now that we're looking to scale operationally we're not set up to be able to scale abm yet though i i'm not even quite sure we want to be able to scale Uh, ABM, I don't know if it's the right approach for us, but that's definitely a hurdle that I'll be tackling in, you know, this coming quarter because the proof of concept that we did earlier this year did really well for us. So, So we're kind of taking that and scaling. So operationally, I think we're going to have some hurdles that we're going to need to address.
1: Okay, excellent. So let's talk about engagement for a second. I have, I have clients that I've worked with or you know, people that will tell me, Oh, if somebody likes a piece of content, they're engaged. And I don't know about you guys. To me, that's just... It's a golf clap. It's a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. So I'm curious when, when you guys you know, start to do ABM, and I'll put this to both of you really, what have you found to be the most successful in terms of actually getting into deeper levels of engagement with your customers through those ABM techniques and approaches?
2: I can. Yeah, you we'll just go ahead. I mean, we. I talked about doing digital and and physical, but we learned that you know, getting back to basics, getting a direct mail piece out just to get someone's attention actually worked, <laughs> and we, we had a great little motif. So the ebook that I was mentioning earlier that had performed well, it was um, about. It was the nine ingredients to better content. So we took that whole theme of food and ingredients, and we actually turned the box into a cake. And from the outside, it looked like a chocolate cake, and on top it said, "Achieve deliciousness with your content." <laughs> and inside, there was a mug because you do want to send something that is branded somehow with you know your your logo, your brand. So we sent a Nectarlux mug, a very nice mug. And we also sent a mud cake. I don't know if you know this, but mud cakes are all the rage right now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So we had this whole theme around it, and it got people to pay attention. And we also personalized it. We had a personal note that came from the BDR. Some, we did some research about some of those people, you know, if they had information about themselves on Twitter or so about, you know, sports teams or things like that. It took a very much of a one-to-one approach to be able to do this in a way that people would pay attention. Because if I think of ways that people are going to get my attention, that's how they're going to do it. So as a marketer, I was able to take that approach and thinking about how we wanted to, to tackle this. So for ABM... That was one key aspect uh, of that. Obviously, for different stages of the funnel, there's different things that you do for getting people's attention, but for that middle of the funnel, more ABM direct mail has worked
1: well for us well, personalization is key right i mean people want to feel important they want to feel like you're recognizing them they don't respond as well anymore to the standard hey here's a marketing automated email and we know it's marketing automated because you spelled my name wrong and it was just you know it was something that dumped into a field so that personalization is key so really like that approach to it and then i'm a big fan of the if you haven't seen a picture of me i'm a big fan of cake anyway but so let's yeah. talk about <laughs> let's talk about success how do we measure success in Chuck, I want to start with you and your sales teams. Have you found a need to create a different type of comp plan or set of different metrics for success for these teams beyond just simple quota attainment? Or is it really just a new approach on top of a you know, very standard type of incentive plan?
0: My short answer is no, and I'll explain why. I'm, when it comes to a building a comp plan, I'm a big believer in simplicity. I think you need to do 3 things. You need to create a comp plan that has a high degree of clarity and no ambiguity. You need to design a comp plan to attract the behaviors that you want. For example, if you're at a stage with a, a company where they've got an annual revenue growth pattern that looks like a hockey stick, you know maybe you want to put in quarterly accelerators for quarterly standalone achievement, for example. You know, I think you've got to take a good hard look... At what you need for the business out of the sales organization, and then structure your comp plan accordingly. And the reason I am a, an advocate of simplicity, and you know, I'm, I'm from the New York area uh, originally, and uh, you know, there's a quote from Bill Parcells, Chad, that I have carried with me given what I chose to do for a living, uh, which is, You are what your record says you are. Um, <laughs> You know, Bill Parcells didn't have a lot of patience for somebody on their team saying, We're the best three and six team in the league. You know, know, all that mattered is you're you're three and six. (laughs) Uh, Right. So I think you've got to structure comp plans around performance. And that has to be the most important measure for a salesperson. I am not, and I want to make sure this is understood, I am not saying that there aren't activities, behaviors, just simply the way of going about your business every day, uh, establishing secondary KPIs. I'm not saying those aren't important but I've always been a believer in that being something that is managed to and coached to and mentored to, as opposed to something that's driven through comp.
1: Excellent. Excellent. All right. So how about on the marketing side, Mara? How do you, how do you recommend people set up KPIs to track the effectiveness of their, of their ABM campaigns?
2: I feel really strongly about uh, this. And the way that we did it here is we structured our measurement in in three phases and especially because we were doing a proof of concept we kind of where i had some hypotheses around what it would take for us to be able to continue with abm so within three weeks of launch you should probably have early indicator kpis that you're tracking and i'll talk about that in a second because it is it is important so three weeks early indicators 30 to 90 days, I am starting to look at overall engagement increase from a content consumption perspective, downloads and, and website visits, email opens, all of those kinds of things. And then that 6 to 12 months time frame, at least for us, we have a really long sales cycle. I'm looking at overall funnel velocity, deal close, and, and even sort of increased deal size. We um, we're not there yet. But obviously, ABM is new uh, to us. But I wanted to go back to those early indicators because this is kind of what was going to make or break us continuing to do this, or which direction that we would take. I wanted to prove out uh, when we developed our ABM plan that based on industry standards, ABM should help you increase velocity, right? And it should help you cut cut some of your costs in half. So basically if looking from an inbound approach it typically takes an inbound mql 28 days to become a meeting so my hypothesis was well with abm it should really take 14 days and I want my meetings uh, and my cost of my meetings to be cut in half. And we were able to do that. We were able to show as part of those early indicators, like I said, 14 days from when someone received a campaign or a direct mail to when we were able to book up a meeting with them. That took about 14 days. That was really, really important for me to be able to go back to the management team and say, this is working. This is exactly what I wanted this to do. So Understand what KPIs are important to you. One of my most important ones, again, are MQLs to meeting conversion. So I wanted to be able to understand how ABM would impact that right away.
1: Excellent. Those are amazing, amazing insights for the audience. So thank you very much for sharing that and congratulations for, for hitting those. It's it's impressive. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about team makeup in terms of structuring a, a sales or marketing team inside of an ABM ABS kind of structure. Is the does the team structure look any different than what most people would consider a normal sales team, Chuck? Have you done different things to structure that team to make sure they work seamlessly with marketing, play well with others? All you know, all of the standard objections that we hear about sales and marketing get along, have you had to adjust the way that the team has been structured or found something that works better?
0: Well, first, I'll tell you, I have lived in an environment where sales and marketing were somewhat adversarial. So I know what that's like. Thankfully, that is not the situation here. Mari and, and our entire market, marketing organization, which is led by Chris Willis, are, have been outstanding partners for us. And the reason they have been is because we're collaborating all the time. We're passing along feedback. We're discussing not only uh, successes so we can repeat them, but mistakes so we can avoid them. They've been outstanding. Regarding the organization of my team, I think you use the word unusual. I, I, I think perhaps, you know, I don't view the way we're structured or the direction we're going in as unusual except when i look perhaps at the size of our sales organization you know we don't have a, a huge team i mean globally we we have now 11 field reps and 5 business development reps but in our quest to not only make our abm efforts effective but also uh, and i'll go back to you know what we discussed earlier in this call Relative to the need for salespeople to be consultative, we are transitioning as rapidly as it logistically makes sense to move from the geographic territory organization that I inherited to a vertically oriented territory alignment, and and that's simply I mean and that's not a criticism to what I walked into here. When you have you know three reps in the United States and three in Europe you really can't be aligned vertically. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't really work. We, we, we had East, Central, West, go get them guys. Um, but now that we've scaled the team, we know that the path towards our accelerating our growth is to ensure that we're putting our salespeople in the position where they can be consultative about company about industry and the only way to do that is to enable them to have that focus. So we have one tech specific territory, I now have a what we call enterprise account director that we've moved from a geographic specialization to being a financial services subject matter overlay and we're going to continue to seize those opportunities. So, you know, if I have Somebody that's in a geo, close a couple of pharma deals because a lot of the pharma companies are in are in the Northeast and New Jersey. Then we'll gather those pharma accounts around that rep and enable them to be consultative.
1: Excellent. And so, All right. So let's... These kind of questions, next questions, always give our audience insights to make sure that they understand their world's not much different than the people that we talk to. And so as a sales executive, you mentioned the word business issue earlier in the interview. And I don't know if that's because it's part of the framework that you've been exposed to. It's a word, it's a phrase I'm very familiar with. And so when we look at you as the head of sales, what's the top business issue you're focused on today? What is it? What's the KPI you're being measured with or really focused on to
0: ensuring the team helps you achieve? Chad, this is going to be a shocker. Revenue growth. Oh no.
1: (laughs) What? I've never heard that before.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'm saying that it's serious and it's tongue in cheek at the same time. We have doubled the size of our company in the last two and a half years but we see an addressable market that offers us an opportunity to significantly accelerate that growth and to do so in the short term. All right. So my focus is enabling us to hit those short term revenue targets while also building out an organization that is going to be able to scale longer term and in doing so not place AcroLynx in a position where scaling a bunch and then we have to do a reset and reorg and then scale again.
1: Right. Uh,
0: we're, We're very focused on making sure that what we do how we align our sales reps, how we build territories that are we're doing so in a way where as we continue to expand, the structure is one that we'll be able to sustain.
1: Excellent. Excellent. And Marianne, how about you? So if top line revenue growth is the overall business objective, how are you measured? You know, What are your KPIs to make sure we're contributing towards that, that objective?
2: Well, one of the things that I'm always always focused on is accelerating the funnel. So what are the things that are helping with that? It's you know my conversions, my my KPIs. I didn't correct you earlier, but my title actually contains the word revenue in it. It's director of revenue marketing.
1: Oh, and did I screw that up?
2: It's okay. Oh, I, I
1: am so sorry. I am so sorry. I will fix that in post. <laughs>
2: All. I, I it's it's about accelerating the funnel, right? So some of the goals for me for the remainder of the year will be to continue to tackle that. And ABM is one way that we found to, to be able to accelerate uh, the, the funnel and to be able to create this sort of more predictable report on how marketing is actually helping with revenue growth. And you mentioned a little bit earlier that you know the, the listeners like to hear that. People have sort of the same challenges. Trust me, we all do. <laughs> and particularly with enterprise uh, level sales, the, the funnel is long, the funnel is cumbersome, MQLs don't become meetings, meetings don't become opportunities, things get stuck. And then for me, it becomes much more than just optimizing campaigns, right? It's implementing or helping enable our BDRs, for example, to be productive help motivate them. And Chuck and I work really closely with that because obviously MQLs are being sent over to to our BDRs and it it is my responsibility too to make sure that they are productive. You know, the BDRs are productive, that they are motivated as well and and to help them and to overcome those challenges. Those are all kinds of things that have been very much top of mind uh, for me. So it's all of the above. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Excellent. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as revenue executives, and I will I will fix that, Mariana. I apologize. That should make sure that word is in your title. You that makes you guys to put it bluntly, prospects for other people that are out there trying to sell things. So I always like to ask our guests, if somebody's trying to get in front of you that you don't have a relationship with, there's not a referral, but it's somebody who's really trying to capture your attention and build credibility, what works best to capture that attention and get that first conversation with you uh, and, and set it up for to see if there's actually a solution that they, they might have for you? And so Mariana, let's start with you. What captures your attention and builds that credibility?
2: Yeah, I think we talked about personalization earlier, and Chuck said, demonstrate value through your expertise, right? I want you to, to know me, to be relevant to me, and understand my pains and, and speak that language, right? I am not a good example, because I feel like I am a salesperson's dream come true. I'm pretty active on <laughs> I have a blog where I write about demand generation, so... I those guys have it easy because you can very easily find what things are of concern to me. So <laughs> research that you're going to find stuff visible actually uh, got my attention. They did a really good job recently. They they sent me a small ABM package, which had just some candy in it, and but the note was really personalized and this guy knew me and, and he knew all about my blog and he he understood that you know I wanted to understand or to do attribution. So those are the things that are important to me and that will uh, catch my attention in this world of emails all the time and thousands of emails. How many unread emails do you have, Chuck?
1: Uh, Right now, unread, we're probably into at least three digits.
0: (laughs) I'm only at
1: 104 right now. Ah, uh, yeah. So we're still in the three digits. <laughs> I I spend most of my nights. I this is probably more information you guys want to know about me, but I'm gonna share as you'll learn. Uh, I spend most of my night at happy hour, going through the emails and figure out what I'm actually gonna read and what I'm not. And it's amazing. The longer that I sit at the bar, I respond to more that I get to later in that list. I'm not sure why that happens. I just, maybe it's just because I've relaxed at the bar for some reason, I'm not sure. Um, but, but Chuck, let's ask you the same question. What captures your attention and helps build that credibility so you actually give somebody some of your very valuable time?
0: Well, Chad, first I'll admit that I love the question because I have gotten to the point where if my iPhone lights up on a call and it's a number as opposed to a name, I don't answer. Yep. Um, which really means I have a lot of... And I guess I'm the anti-Mari there because she's, <laughs> she's like, sales friendly and here I am leading the sales organization and I'm like, no! Um, but you know, it's just out of necessity. So I have a lot of empathy for the tasks that we've charged our BDRs with. And what I look for to answer your question is the same thing that I kept in mind you know, 20 plus years ago when I was banging the phones at Gartner trying to get appointments, I always took the view that if that person answered the phone or listened to the voicemail, I had five seconds to give them a reason to keep listening. Exactly. I can actually, I was thinking about this. I can, while Mari was talking, I can use an example. I listened to a voicemail. God, now it has to be over a year ago, 15 months ago. And I've kept in touch with this salesperson and the voicemail read, Hi, this is Michelle Bach from Sixter. If you are concerned about how to expand the reach of your sales team, please call me.
1: Perfect. That that is a perfectly crafted voicemail.
0: Yeah, and and I was and I was sitting in an airport uh, waiting for a delayed flight. I listened to the message, went to delete it, and went, wait, Chuck, that is something that's freaking you out. Um, <laughs> my watch, and was like, I have time. Oh, what the hell? And I called her. And she answered the phone and three months later we had Sixter on all of our email signatures company-wide. So if you get to know me and I'll define get to know me as say something to me that's relevant that can help me do my job, then I'll call you back. If get to know me is you've looked at my LinkedIn profile for 30 seconds and you've referred to like two things to make it seem like you've done research, I don't care.
1: Right. Right. Personalization is key. Everybody needs to understand that out there. Alright, so last question. We'll call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, professional services people, one piece of advice that if they listened, that is always the caveat, if they listened, you believe would help them hit their targets, what would it be and why? And Let's start with you, Chuck, this time.
0: have the courage to engage in honest introspection. Wow, uh, ah, that's a heavy one well but you know what we do is really difficult but the people that are successful in sales or whatever discipline that they pursue they are successful because they have identified the activities that make them successful and they've gotten disciplined around that and at the same time they've identified the activities that potentially aren't the best use of their time, or maybe the activities that they really like to do, but don't really get them closer to their goals. And they've gotten equally disciplined around eliminating them. I've told people that have reported to me many times, if you're spending time trying to justify what you're doing to me, you're missing the boat, right? You need to be able to justify what you're doing and how you're doing it to yourself. So yeah, I I would say of all qualities or things that people can do, having that gift of introspection so they can be honest with themselves, understand their strengths, understand their weaknesses and continue to improve. That's the most important thing.
1: I agree 100%. I think sales reps in particular have too much tendency to look outward rather than inward. You don't change other people. You can only change yourself. So thank you for that. That is beautifully put. How about you, Mariana? One thing that you think if somebody listened to it would help them crush their numbers or be more successful?
2: Well, it's funny that Chuck got all philosophical with that answer. (laughs) Along the same paths.
1: (laughs) I got called out first.
2: (laughs) I Typically, what I say is align and and relate. I think it's very easy for sales and marketing to sort of get into their own individual worlds, to not really see the big picture. I like to say, leave your egos at the door because then you're not doing what's best for the company. And in relation to even ABM, I think ABM forces you to do that and, and to be that way. So... Obviously, there's no successful ABM without that kind of alignment. So I I would say, first and foremost, um, try to relate. Relate is really important.
1: Alignment and be empathetic. I love it. I love it. Perfect. If a listener's interested in talking more about any of the topics we touch on, learning more about AcroLinks, where should they go first? Where would you guys direct them?
0: To my team. um if you would like to i'll make this really easy if you would like to learn more uh about us um, my email is uh at acrolinks.com please reach out
1: excellent well i cannot thank you both enough for being on the show today this has been a great conversation truly have enjoyed the opportunity to speak with both of you
2: Same. thank you yeah
1: we've
0: enjoyed it as well thank you chad
1: all right, everyone, that does it for this episode. Please check us out at b2brevexec.com. You know the drill. Share the episode with friends, families, coworkers, random people you meet on the street. If you like what you hear, do us a favor, write us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we have Value Prime Solutions. Wish you all nothing but the greatest success.
0: Are you concerned about hitting your revenue targets this month, quarter, or year? Your answer is Value Prime Solutions, a sales training and marketing optimization company leveraging the value selling framework. Visit www.valueprimesolutions.com and start accelerating your results.
1: You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience.